We have an exciting time ahead of us. Um, we have a character tonight um, from the Christmas story that actually was there. Yeah. And uh, he's going to tell you his story and uh, how he participated in the first Christmas. But the strange thing about it is he actually missed the first Christmas. I mean, he was part of the first Christmas, but he missed the first Christmas. I don't exactly understand that, but I think he's going to set us straight on that thing. So let's listen to him and see what we can learn from this character that was in the first Christmas story. Are you ready? All right. Ah, shalom. shalom. It's a greeting, you know. Do you know you have a rabbit on your head? <laughs> Did you know that? I know you have a magic hat or something, right? And you took it off and the rabbit was still there. <laughs> well, my name is, is Nathan. I am here to tell you, as you just heard, uh, I missed Christmas. Yes. I'm ashamed to tell you how I miss Christmas. Hopefully, if you hear my story, you will learn not to make the same mistake that I made a long time ago. You see, I am an innkeeper. Maybe you've heard of, of me and your Christmas story. Eh? You've heard, eh? You know the Christmas story? You hear? I am an innkeeper. I am a businessman. Money is very, very important to me. It's my business, and I'm very good at that. I live in a little tiny village a place that was called Bethlehem. I'm sure you've heard of it. Bethlehem is a small little village. Only about 200 people live there. Small little place. It was only about a half a day's journey to Jerusalem. You could walk to Jerusalem in a few hours from Bethlehem. But uh, my village was very, very small. And because it was small, only about maybe 200 people live there. And because it was small, you see, I had the only inn in the entire village. So I was the only innkeeper. Yeah, that was very good. Because being the only innkeeper, when people came by, they paid me money. <laughs> I am a businessman. Mm, yes. Well, Bethlehem is very, very famous, you see. On one side of Bethlehem, there's many wheat fields. On another side is where they keep sheep. Both of these, the wheat and the sheep, are used in the temple sacrifices. And that's what they did there. So it's mostly, Bethlehem was mostly made up of people like uh, farmers and shepherds. That was about it. Not many famous people lived there at the time. Uh, most people were up in Jerusalem or in some of the other city. But here in Bethlehem, that's where I lived, and I had the only inn. Now, maybe you know some stories, because Bethlehem is very famous. In the Old Testament, there are many stories about Bethlehem. Do you know of any that talk about Bethlehem? Or maybe some famous person who came from there? Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> you're sort of scaring me. <laughs> and I hope your rabbit does not attack me. <laughs> does anyone know it's any stories or anything about Bethlehem, eh? Oh, you know one, eh? What's what? I know that Jesus, baby Jesus has been born. That's right. It is the place where the Messiah, the Savior, was born. Very good. You are very, very smart. Yes. Someone else knows something about Bethlehem, eh? Well, do you, have you ever heard of a Bible character named Rachel? Well, Jacob's wife, Rachel, yes. She died at Bethlehem, and she is buried there. 
My inn is just down the street. I many times would walk past her tomb as I would go to back and forth through the well to my inn. I could pass her tomb. So that was a very, very, very famous person who was there. Though it's a sad story because she died. Has anyone ever heard of a girl named Ruth? Ah, you heard of Ruth? Yeah, she met and fell in love with a man who lived in Bethlehem. Does anyone know his name? Eh? You know? Boaz. Very good. That was very good. Boaz. He owned fields around there. The farmer owned stuff. And, and, and uh, his wife was, was Ruth. And they met there in the fields and they fell in love. Yes. And another famous person from Bethlehem. Anyone know? No one read the Old Testament, eh? David! We, David! Yes, he was a shepherd there. Remember the boy who fought Goliath? He lived in Bethlehem. He grew up in Bethlehem. His family was there in Bethlehem. And he grew up there. Do you know what he did? What his job was in Bethlehem? What, 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 Being a shepherd. He was a shepherd, yes. He spent many times out in the field with a bunch of stinking sheep. Yeah. Me, I stayed in my inn. I kept my inn very clean. It smelled very nice. Not like sheep, no. David went on to become the king. The greatest king of all of Israel was David. Well, my story takes place about a thousand years after David. Now, what happened with these on this first Christmas? You see, people travel often in Judea. And because we're just outside of Jerusalem, they would need a place to stay as they're heading there. So many Jews would come by and stay in my inn. Now, because I have the inn, what I had to do when a person comes into, maybe some of you can understand this, many of you are staying in like in a cabin or maybe in the inn here at Fort. What happened before you got here was some people went in and cleaned it up. You know what happens when you leave? Some people go in and clean it up. Now, at my inn, my inn was so small and so insignificant, it was my family who did that. I would many times go in and clean the rooms. My wife would sometimes help. My children, my boys and girls would come in. We, we helped. And we would put the room all together. The guests would come. Then they leave. We'd go back. See, there's a lot of work being done. Not only that, in our days, we would many times feed our guests. We would make sure they have water. There was no running water in the rooms. So we had to go down to the well. Do you know Bethlehem had some of the best tasting water in all of Judea? Yes. And so I would send my children, usually my boys and girls, down there to the, get the jugs of water and come up and, and serve the people in the inn. Yes, they would do that. My wife would make bread, and we would give it to the people in the inn. My children would go pick fruit, and we would give it to, to the people. Always <laughs> for a price. I'm a businessman. Yeah. So, on this time, what happened was, the Roman government, there was the emperor, and he made a new law that all of the world was going to be taxed. And so everyone who lived in Judea had to go back to their ancestral home. And if you own property there, you had to go back and register it and pay a fee for that. Now, most people did not like this Roman census because... For one, it was against our laws, the laws of God, to have this. So many Jews were very upset with it. <laughs> Not me. Because all those travelers, 
They need a place to stay. And I am the only inn in Bethlehem. So, I was very happy. To me, it was like a blessing from God because all of a sudden now, I have all of this money coming in. People are traveling. And the, the whole story with Joseph and Mary, they lived up in Galilee. They had to come down. And they had to come there because they owned property there. And they had to register it. Even though they lived up there, people had property. They had to come back to their ancestral home. And they get registered there. So people are moving in and out. Jerusalem was so filled with people. All of the cities all around. Every day, I was able to fill every single room in my inn. Every single night. Not only that, there are some of my neighbors were not from Bethlehem. So they would have to go say, for instance, the man who lived next door to me, he's from Bethshane. So he had to go to Bethshane and register. Another person down the street had to go down to, um, to, uh, over to uh, uh, Beersheba and have to register there. And so we had people moving out. So what I did, you see, I'm very good at business. What I did was I asked my neighbors, hey, when you leave, your house is going to be empty. How would you like to make some money? They said, how? I said, let me rent your house to the guests while you're gone. I will clean it. My kids and my family, we will clean. We will take care of everything. The guests will come. They will pay money. And I'll give you half of what I get. So I filled every room like that. Also, in Bethlehem, there were some houses that no one had lived in for many, many years. Just sitting vacant. I thought, why are they just sitting there? I could make money on this. So I started going over and putting people in them. Clean them up, put the people in there, charge them some money. Hey, I was making money everywhere. Woo, person running around. Is that rabbit running around, eh? <laughs> so, you see what I was doing? I also charged more money at this time. This is business. I'm a businessman. I know you might be saying, well, you have so many people coming in. Why do you charge more money? Because they will pay it. You see, when they come on their way to Jerusalem, or maybe down to Hebron or something, they come here, uh, they, they come up and they say, do you have a room? Yes, I have a room. I have a house over there. It costs three shekels. Three shekels? Yeah, if you don't like it, go someplace else. There's no other place here in, in the village. Right. <laughs> yes, I get the money that way. See, I was thinking this is great news for me. Because all this money coming in, I could, now, I could now buy my wife many things that I could never buy before. I could show her how much I love her and my affections by giving her gifts I could never do before. I could give my children things I could never ever buy them before. Now, the Romans made it possible I could do this. And even myself, there are many things I would like to have. Now, I have the money to do this. It's business, and I'm a businessman. Well, that's how this, it was all set up. To be totally honest with you, I hardly remember much about Joseph and Mary when they came, because there are so many other people coming. I didn't remember. Probably the main reason I remember them is that she was pregnant. She was about to give birth. That's what has stuck in my mind. Let me tell you what happened. You see, I was there talking in my house. Uh, the room, one of the rooms in the inn, a uh, very wealthy man. He was staying there. He was from Arad. And he was coming into my house and he says, hey, we need some more water. We've already used up the water. 
Samuel, told my son, go get some more water. Get it up there. And he says, not only that, I want some more cheese. You already got the cheese I gave you. Well, we want more cheese. I'll give you more cheese if you give me a little bit more money. So we're standing here haggling over all this. All of a sudden, there's a knock at my door. I open up the door, right in the middle. And here's this man. This was Joseph. And he says, you got any rooms? Are you the innkeeper? You got any rooms? He was sort of frantic, very excited. I said, oh, yeah. what's the matter with you? Yeah, we, I'm the innkeeper, but we have no rooms. There's no more rooms. You need to go on. You can go to Jerusalem or Bethany, or if you're going the other way, Hebron's not too far away. You can make it still. If you get on your, your donkey, I see you got donkey. Get on your donkey. You can make it in a few hours. You can be there. Well, he didn't like that answer because he said, oh, no, no, I have to have something here. I said, there's nothing here. I have filled every house. I have filled every room. There is nothing here. Every single room is filled. You understand? I have nothing. Well, I can pay. I can't. I would love to take your money. I have no rooms. It's like this guy didn't understand what I'm telling him. Well, I say, there's nothing I can do. And I turn away. Talk more with the man from Arad as he walked back onto the street. As I'm talking to him, I tell him, okay, we'll get you all the things you want. Some pomegranate. You want a pomegranate? I'll give you a pomegranate. No problem. Give me a shekel. I'll give you many pomegranate. As I go out, because I know some of the other places, uh, some of my other rooms need some water, I, I decide to go down to the well myself and pick up a water jug and fill it up. I had to walk past Mary and Joseph. I felt really bad because they're still standing here. They didn't move. And I'm like, why didn't they go to Bethany? They could be there in a few hours. Why don't they go to Bethany? And then she screamed. That did not make me feel good. Yeah, I said, it's business. I, I, I've got too much to do already. I went down to the well, and as I'm filling up the jug to bring to my guests, I'm thinking, I can't take care of them. I have so many other guests I have to take care of. There are so many people depending on me. You understand? They're depending on me to get them the water, to get them to the food, to get them bread. I, I don't have time for all of this. I felt bad. Yes, I felt bad. But it's business. I'm a man of business. Yeah. As I went back up the street, I, I could not even look at them. I turned my head. I was feeling very full of shame and guilt. But I kept telling myself, it's business. I go back up to my house and hand off the water jug to my boy and have him take it to the other to the other room, I met my wife standing at the door. She says, who is that standing in the street? I said, his name's from Joseph. He said he's from a place, uh, Nazareth, way up in Galilee. He's looking for a place to stay. Well, why is he here? Why does he go someplace? I said, he is a descendant of David. And so he's, he has to register here. But we, I told him we have no place to stay. Well, tell him to move on. Bethany's I said, I told him all of this. You think I not know? I told him. Go to Bethany. Go to Jerusalem. Go someplace else. We have nothing here. Why are they standing here? Well, she's about ready to give birth. What? For a moment, I thought about asking my wife, do you think we should bring her inside our house and share and let her help? You see, in our, in our country, there's an old custom that when someone comes to your door who is in need, who is in want, even if it be your enemy, you bring them inside 
You feed them, you take care of them. It goes back to the laws of God. I know this law. My wife knows this law. But do you know how much work is involved with a pregnant woman giving birth? And we have bread, we have cheese, we have so many things to do. I don't have time for this. There's too much, too much to do. I have guests that are paying me money. I have to take care of them. You understand why I'm saying this? We thought about maybe having one of the other people who are staying in one of the big houses, and there's only a few of them. Maybe we could have them move on to Jerusalem. I said, no, we can't do that because they've already paid me money. If I tell them that I need the house now for a pregnant lady, they're going to want their money back. I, I can't do that. It's not good business. Maybe we could put him in with someone else who's only like one person in a the room. They're still going to want money back. No, that's not good business. So, as we stood there, I don't know who came up with the idea. I think I did, because I'm the smart one in the family. You know, my wife, when she tells the story, she says she's the one who came up with the idea. Put him in the stable. I said, ah, oh, the stable. Of course, we never put people in a stable. And she says, if you put them in there, make sure you charge them more money, because Samuel this morning changed the hay. That's brand new clean hay in there. I thought, yes. So I could, that's a good idea. So I go up to Joseph. He's still standing in the street. She's screaming every now and then. I go, Joseph, I take it you're not moving on. No, we can't. We have to pay the taxes and everything here. And I go, okay, I've got a solution for you. Let's do this. You pay me two shekels, and you can stay in my stable. It's back behind my house. He looked at me sort of strange. I said, no, it's a clean stable. There's only a few animals, and we just changed the hay. It is so perfect for you. So nice and comfy, brand new hay. There's no manure in there. It's all been shoveled out. Well, mostly it's been shoveled out. Samuel sometimes misses things like that. But you can go in there. So they went on. I walked them over to where the stable was, which is actually just a cave. That's all it is, is just a cave. We had a few animals, but that was it. And they went inside, and I was very glad to get rid of them, and I went back, back to my home. I walk inside. My kids have already now gone to bed. And I'm thinking, what a day this has been. How many loaves of bread, my dear, have we made today? How many times have we walked to the well back and forth? We're so tired that I lay down and I started to think, finally, I can sleep. But the guilt, the shame, was still there. And every now and then, I could hear that Lady Mary screaming in pain because of the birth. It really was like sticking a dagger in my heart. I could have helped, but I'm a businessman. So I tried thinking of other things. I thought, what can I do with all this money? I wonder if my wife would like to have that, or I could buy these for my kid. And I lay there in my bed thinking about all these things that I could buy. With all the money now in my pocket, and more coming in every day. Somewhere in there, I fell asleep. Only to be awakened in the middle of the night 
by some shepherds who came down out of the fields and were screaming and shouting. What what is going on? I get up and I go to the window. My little window, I look out there. What's this other racket? And these shepherds are out there. I go to the door. I open up my door. Hey, be quiet. I have guests paying for a good night's sleep. You're making it impossible for anyone to sleep. What's the matter? And they kept shouting. Then I understood what they were saying. They're praising God. And I'm like, what a time to praise God. In the middle of the night, what? You can't praise God in the daytime? What do you got to do in the middle of the night? Messing everything up. You're keeping me awake. You're keeping my family awake. You're keeping, oh my God. Be quiet, I told them. Be quiet. You can praise God, just do it quiet. I went back to bed. After a while, they were gone. Fell back asleep. Got up early, though. Oh, there's so much to do. We had to make more bread. Had to take trips down to the well to get water. All this is going on. Well, here's Joseph. As I walk outside, standing there at the stable, holding his newborn son. I felt so guilty. I didn't even go over. No. I didn't even go over. The first Christmas I missed, and folks, it was in my backyard. And I missed it. My friends, I missed that first Christmas. I fell into a trap. Please listen to what I'm telling you. It, it, it wasn't that I was unloving. It, it wasn't that I was an uncaring person. No, it wasn't that at all. It was business. I was serving people. I was taking care of people. I was helping people. Isn't that what a good Jew is supposed to do? I think there's a lot of people like that. People that fill their lives, like what I did, with needless things. I could think about all the things this money could buy. Needless things and stuff. And in doing so, they totally miss the Son of God. I was too busy. I miss Christmas. The first Christmas, right in my backyard. I was too busy. I pray, listen to me. Please, don't live like I did. Don't make the same mistake. I ask you to think. Did you spend more time shopping than you did adoring the Son of God? Did you spend more money on stuff, laying awake thinking of things to buy others instead of giving money to the kingdom of God? If so, maybe you have fallen into the same trap I did. I hope you learn from my mistake. Shalom. Oh, hello. I did not, not notice you sitting there. Uh, my name is Baruch. Uh, Baruch. This is a very strange thing here. I don't know what this is.
And this, whoa, look at that strange thing. There's bees in there? <laughs> hello, hello? <laughs> I don't know. Ah, my name is Baruch. Yes, I missed Christmas. Very sad what I did wrong. Most of you are wondering, who am I in the Christmas story? Well, my name is actually not mentioned. But what I had the role in was so important. And uh, it's very, very important you listen to me tonight because I am going to tell you something very, very important. You see, I am a scribe. A scribe. Yes. And the scribes were used in the Christmas story in a very, very important role. Now you're wondering, well, what is a scribe? Well, a scribe, <laughs> in the times of Christ and in the intertestamental times, the scribes were ones that were sometimes called experts in Jewish law. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, he called us lawyers. Because what we did, what was my job, was to sit near the temple. I often worked near the temple, and I copied the scriptures. Yes, that's what we did. We, we copied scriptures, we scribes. And so we have the Holy Scroll here, the Word of God, and we had animal skin, and we had styles, and we would copy the Word of God. That was my job. And we would make copies, and then we would send them to the synagogues all over the Roman Empire so that people could learn and read the Word of God. I understand today you have some type of box that you can put the Holy Scriptures on, push buttons, and it makes hundreds of copies. Amazing. No, in our day, <laughs> it was done much different. Now, let me tell you how it, how it was done, how we scribes would do this. First of all, we had the copy of the Word of God, one of the books. This here is the Torah. And so my job was to take and copy these. Now, how did we do it? We would spread it out, and we had special animal skin. Now, some people are under the impression, <laughs> this is so wrong, that, that we copied scripture from oral tradition for centuries. Oh, that is so wrong. No, 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 no. We copied it, and that was the job of the scribes. And what we did, let me tell you some of the ways we had to do this. It's amazing. We put this scroll here. We have a certain animal skin. You just could not use any animal skin. It had to be from a clean animal like a sheep. And then we would skin it and treat it. And because many scrolls are very long, there are some scrolls that are longer than, than this room is wide. The book of Psalm is so long. Isaiah is over 40 feet long. So there's not many sheep you can see that's 40 feet long. No. I mean, that would be very, very difficult to do. So what we did is we would take many animals, the skins, and we had a special thread that we made out of animal skin also and put them together. And we make long scrolls like that. Then, not only that, we had to put columns in. You just couldn't do them everywhere. There were certain rules on how you make columns. There were certain rules on drawing lines that we would then write on. We even had a special recipe for making the ink. You couldn't just go down to the market and do it. You had to make a special type of ink that we would copy. 
We had to do this so exact because we're working with the Word of God. The actual Word of God. Now, how did we copy? You might think we would maybe look at a sentence and then sit down and write the sentence. No, that was forbidden. We could not do that. We had to not copy one word at a time. No, that was forbidden. We had to copy one letter at a time. Do you realize how long it takes to do that? It takes a long time. Yes. Just to write your name, one letter. If you're copying it from a paper, you would look and see the letter. Then you come down here, you make the letter. You go back the next letter. You go back, you write this. You go back to that, you make the next. You see how long this would take? It takes sometimes weeks, months to do this. All of this had to be perfect. Matter of fact, it's true. When we finished, the scroll we have just made is called an original, not a copy. We even got to the point of counting how many words were in each book. And when we would get done, we go back and we count to make sure we have the right number of words. Because we are working with the Word of God. That's what my job was. I worked on the side over by the temple and did this all the time. Do you realize by doing this, <laughs> do you realize we would memorize the scriptures? Because of this, we were sometimes called lawyers because people would come up to us and they would say, um, I wonder where it says in the Holy Scriptures what God's answer to this problem is. You see, they have no concordance as you have today. They would come to a scribe. You go up and you ask the scribe, where is this found in Scripture? Can you tell us? And we could tell, would be able to tell them. We had it memorized because after years of doing this, you memorize this, doing one letter at a time. You memorize the scripture. Some people have a hard time memorizing their name. We would memorize the, like the entire Torah. We could quote it perfectly because we would work on it like this all the time. And when people would have disputes, they would sometimes come and find a scribe and find out what is the answer. Between two people who are arguing, what does God's word say? They would ask us. We scribes would be able to give them the answer. That was my role. That's what we did. And because of this, we memorize all these scriptures. Try memorizing just one entire book of the Bible. We had the Old Testament totally down because we spent our whole lives doing this. That was the scribe's job. Now, how do I get into this Christmas story and what was my mistake? Well, it goes back a long time. About 2,000 years ago, what happened was, at this time, we knew there in Jerusalem and all through Judea, we knew that the Messiah was about to be born. How did we know this? <laughs> we scribes knew, because in the book of Daniel, it tells us there is a cipher, a puzzle in there. You can look it up, it's in uh, the book of Daniel, chapter 9. If you're wise, you will see. It tells us when the Messiah was to be born. 
So at this time, we knew that the Messiah was about to be born. We were all excited. Everyone all through Judea was so excited about the Messiah, the birth of the Messiah. The first Christmas was about to happen. It was the talk. You walk down the street, everyone's talking about, when do you think the Messiah is going to come? Where will he be born? This was the talk of the time. But this was the time when Rome had conquered our land. And Herod the Great was the king. Now, Herod was not a Jew. We did not like him. He did not like us. He was, about the time when the Messiah was born, he was very old, and he was just about near the end of his life. Herod was a crazy man. I'm not kidding. He was crazy. And if he got upset with you, off with your head. He would crucify you, or he would drown you. You think I'm kidding? I'm not kidding. Do you know on one day he got so upset with the Pharisees there at the temple, he ordered 300 of them crucified. That was our king. He killed many scribes, many of my closest friends. He killed his wife. He even killed his sons. This was the man who was in charge. We were all terrified of him. Well, as you know, I have a part now of the Christmas story. This is how it happened. I was sitting on this one day there by the temple, copying the word of God. And as I was going through this, I was doing the book of Isaiah. And as I was going through a letter at a time, a letter at a time, checking everything to make sure it was absolutely perfect, because it is the word of God. And doing this, I hear some commotion outside the temple. I thought, what is going on? I get up from my table. I go out, down the stairs, outside the temple. I see in the courtyard of the Gentiles a commotion going on. Yozar, he's the high priest. He's standing there talking to a bunch of Roman soldiers. I'm like, what is the Roman soldiers doing here? Why are they here talking to the high priest? And I think, I'm not going to stick around and find out. I'm going to go back into my, my room. And as I started to go up, Yozar sees me, and he beckons me to come over. And I'm like, oh, this is what I want to do, go by these Roman soldiers. So I tell you, I was a little frightened. I go over to these Romans, standing there with the high priest, and other scribes, Yozar had called them over, and some priests. And we got over there, and Yozar tells us that these Romans have given a message. We were being summoned to go meet Herod. I tell you, the second he said that, on the back of my spine, I think my hair stood up. I was so frightened. Going to meet Herod, who's already murdered many of my friends. I'm supposed to go to... Why? We have not been told. But these soldiers are going to escort us over to the palace. Now, the palace is on the other side of the city, so we had quite a walk to get over there. As we walked, we were all pretty quiet. And we were all thinking, I'm sure, the same thing. What does Herod have to do with us? Why is he summoning us? I mean, remember, he's already crucified 300 Pharisees in one day. He's killed many people, including his own sons. The the emperor himself said that it is better to be Herod's pig than to be his son. Because he is so crazy. He's insane. We go into the palace. As I walked into the palace with my friends, we were ushered into a room. We stand here, 
And here came Herod. He was so angry. We did not know what it was. We were all frightened, very frightened. And Herod stood and addressed us. And he looked right at me. And he said, I have a problem here. And I need you to tell me the answer. Now remember, Herod is not a Jew. He's an Edomite, a descendant of Esau. So he doesn't know everything about our Jewish scriptures. And he says, I need you to tell me something. Now, I had already heard that there were some people Herod had been entertaining. Some magi, wise men from the east over by Babylon, had come into Jerusalem. People were talking about it everywhere. Why were they there? We did not know. We heard they were looking for something. So as Herod is standing there, and he says, I need to know where the Messiah is to be born. Well, I know the answer to this. Most of us did. Well, Your Majesty, why do you need to know this? What is happening? Is there something we should all know? And he says, these magi, these wise men from Babylon have come over. And they know that the Messiah has been born. They want to know where so that they can go and worship him. So I do not know. They do not know where. Tell me where. Well, how did the Magi know this? It's very simple. They had access to our holy scriptures, these wise men. Daniel himself was a Magi over in Babylon. They had access to Daniel's book. They were smart men, these wise men, and they figured out the cipher, the puzzle of when the Messiah would be born. They knew the time was here. They had told Herod that they saw a star in the east, and they followed it. They knew many things, but they did not know where. They didn't have all of our scriptures, but they had many. They didn't have the one that said where it takes place. So they had come to Jerusalem, the capital, because they figure here is where a king would be born. So they asked Herod, the king of the Jews, where is he who is going to be born king of the Jews? Now, Herod does not like to share titles. Herod called himself the king of the Jews. He called himself the king of kings. And if you dispute it, you'll be kidded. So they asked, where is he to be born? Herod's standing there waiting for an answer. You don't wait too long with a man like Herod. You give an answer very quickly if you know it. We got together very quickly. Well, Baruch, as Jeremiah says to me, he says, you, we elect you to be the speaker. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I get to tell him. Eh? So I go up. I say, Your Majesty, it says in the book of Micah where the Messiah will be born. Now, we scribes, we know these because we understand and we know the memory. We've memorized these scriptures because it says, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be considered great in the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming is from of old, from ancient days, meaning everlasting. So Herod looks at me and he goes, Bethlehem. Yes, yes, Your Majesty, Bethlehem, just a few miles down the road. That's, that's where it was. Now we're all sort of scared. What's going to happen? 
Well, Herod immediately turned and walked out of the room. And when he did, did we feel a lot better. But we thought, let's get out of here. So we very quickly started walking out of this palace, trying to get away. And we're walking across. As we got a little further, about halfway across the city, we started to slow down. I was thinking the whole time as we were walking, whoa, these prophecies are coming true. It's amazing. Daniel told us when the Messiah would be born. And I start thinking of other ones. How David in Psalms said that the Messiah would be, would be teaching with parables. Wow, I wonder if he'll be teaching with parables. Of course he will, because it says so in Scripture. I thought about Isaiah, the book I was working on, where Isaiah says that the Messiah will be born of a virgin. Isaiah also said he will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And that his kingdom would last forever. Isaiah also wrote that this Messiah would be a healing Messiah. As we walked across back to the temple, I thought of my favorite prophecy. There's one in the book of Zechariah. It says that the Messiah will remove all sin of mankind in a single day. Did you know that's in there? It is. Get it out, check. You will see. It says God will remove the sin of mankind in one day. I always wondered how God could do that. All mankind, even people not even born yet, how could he do that? I was so puzzled as we were walking back. Almost to the temple, my friend Jeremiah says, Baruch, do you think we should go with the Magi? Herod's going to tell the Magi they're going to go. Why don't we go see this? Why don't we go see the birth of the Messiah? I, this, this is amazing. Everyone's talking about it. We could go see this. Should we go? I stopped. I was thinking, no, I will not go. You can go. I will not go. Well, if you're not going, I'm not going. When he's not going, I'm not going. No, I will not go. And I didn't. You see, the Magi had told Herod that they wanted to worship the Messiah. Herod told them that when they find him, come back and tell him. Then he will go and worship him too. Oh, yes, I'm sure Herod is going to do that. We knew right there, Herod is going to kill this child if he gets a chance. No, I'm not going to go back. I'm not going there. You might think that maybe I'm totally afraid of Herod. Well, I, I, I am. He is a very crazy man. But just because I was afraid of him, that's not the main reason I did not go. I didn't go and meet the Messiah for a couple of reasons. One, I didn't want others to know I went. I didn't want Herod to know I went. I was sort of ashamed. I don't know why. Really, I do, though. No, it was another reason. Something else concerned me. For one, I had a lot of work to do. I was right in the middle of the scroll, copying Isaiah. I had a lot of work to do. And no, I'm not going to go. I, I got to stay here. That was part of the reason. But you know what it really was? I was already serving God. I'm a scribe. 
I'm serving God. I'm working in the temple. I'm copying the scripture. I've memorized the scripture. I have all of this knowledge and stuff. I am a very educated man. I'm very respected. I have a great career. I really didn't think I needed a savior. Why would I need a savior? I'm, I'm working for God. I really didn't care. Even though the scriptures are being fulfilled, I didn't care. Why? I didn't think I need the Messiah. After all, I'm a scribe. People looked up to me. They respect me. They looked to me for answers. I was working for God. I didn't need a savior. I was okay without the Messiah. My life was great. I was at the top of the chain. I was very successful. I was very well known. I was very, very famous in my town. People came from all over to talk to me. I didn't need my sins forgiven. What sins do I have? I'm working for God. Oh, sure, I committed a few sins, but not as much as some of the others have. I didn't need a Messiah. I don't need to be forgiven. I'm a scribe. I can quote the entire Old Testament. How many of you can do that? Why do I need a Savior? I'm not sinful like other people. Oh. That I could go back and change this. I made the greatest mistake of my life. I missed Christmas. I missed coming to the Messiah. I missed my purpose of why God even created us, to worship him. I had the perfect opportunity to go. But I didn't want people to know. And I was so full of pride, so full of self-righteousness. I was so independent because I was so great at what I did. Though I had the law in my head, I had no room for God. What could God do that would make my life better, eh? You know, I'll tell you a secret. I'm so ashamed of this, but maybe you will learn from my mistake. Please, please listen. This is so important. Don't make the same mistake. You see, about 30 years after this, I met Jesus. I listened to him teach. I heard him talk. I heard him do things. I saw him do miracles. And I hated him. I hated him. It got to the point on one day when they arrested him and took him in front of Pilate. I was there. I helped plot his death. I had no room for him. I had no need for him. I plotted his death. When Pilate asked what to do, I was there screaming, we want his blood, crucify him. Crucify him! I didn't understand that I needed him. I was so full of pride. Oh, I hope you do not become like me. Come to the Messiah. Come to the Lord. Worship him. Know him. I messed up my chance. And I am suffering for eternity because I didn't 
want him because I thought I didn't need him. If someone comes to you and tells you how to get to the Messiah, I beg of you, my beloved, I beg of you, don't discard it. Give up your pride, your self-righteousness. Don't worry what other people think. Don't make the mistakes I did. Sure. Let's see, the first night we met the innkeeper, and then what did we meet? The scribe. And tonight we're going to meet somebody um, who was a king. And he was in all the Christmas stories, but he also missed the birth of the Messiah. And so let me introduce now the king, King Herod. You dare laugh? <laughs> what is this standing here? <laughs> Strange thing. Yes, I am Herod. Sometimes called Herod the Great. You can call me that. I, I like that title. I'm also called the King of Kings. I like that one too. But I think my favorite, the one I prefer, is King of the Jews. Mm -hmm. I do like that title, King of the Jews. I guess the reason for that is because these Jews are so hard to rule. But I like that title. Now, I know that you're not too happy with me. And my life in the Christmas story, it is true, I missed Christmas. No question about that. I missed Christmas. But... Before we go into how I miss Christmas, I feel it would be very wise for me to tell you a little bit about my life, because I think some of you don't know really much about me, and I would like to tell you about me. I'm sort of a proud person. After all, I am a king. Well, my story begins a long time ago with my, uh, my father. You see, my father is is not Jewish, nor was my mother. Thus, I am not Jewish. I'm an Edomite. Now, it is not an insect. Edom was a country to the south of Judea. My father's name was Antipater. Antipater was a very well-known and very famous person in Edom, a very, I guess you would say, a nobleman. And he married my mother. My mother was actually a princess. She lived in Petra also in Edom. And together they were very famous. And because of their fame, I was very used all my life to being around very famous people, being around kings and princes and such. Yes, I spent a lot of my life like that. But we were not Jews. We are Edomites. Now, 
At this time, the Roman Empire was becoming very famous. There was a general by the name of Pompey. Pompey invaded Israel, the kingdom of Judea, what we called Palestine. As he came in and was conquering the Jews, my father Antipater helped him. He served and fought alongside Pompey. Because of this, and when they conquered Jerusalem, Julius Caesar made my father Antipater the ruler of Palestine. That was his reward. And my father then decided I should be the governor of Galilee. So I became, in a very young age, the governor of Galilee. Quite interesting, eh? And if you noticed, I was mentioning names like Julius Caesar, Pompey, and I knew them. I knew them well. As a matter of fact, Mark Antony, who is Julius Caesar's favorite general, was one of my closest friends. I knew Octavian, Julius Caesar's nephew. I was very close friends of him. I even know that Cleopatra woman. Maybe you've heard of Cleopatra, queen of Egypt, who married Julius Caesar. And then when he was killed, married Mark Antony. I, I was very good friends of her too, though actually I did not like her. Why did I like her? She was trying to take over my kingdom too. She was trying to bring Egypt back to its greatness. So, any time she was around, I always treated her with charm, as a king should. And that's how that all went. Well, I was ruling around there. My father was ruling down there. And then something happened. In about 44 BC, Julius Caesar was assassinated in Rome. Now remember, Julius Caesar was a very close friend of our family. And when he was killed, that really made the empire sort of mixed up because the empire fell to the control of Julius's nephew, Octavian, and Julius Caesar's favorite general, Mark Antony. So they were ruling the empire, which wasn't so bad at that point. I was still the governor of Galilee, but just a few years after this happened, my father, Antipater, who was ruling the Jews, was murdered by these Jews. He was collecting taxes from them for Rome, and they killed him. This made me very upset. My father being murdered. So, I went to Rome. I went to Octavian. I went to Mark Antony. And I asked for help to find the murderers who killed my father. Mark Antony, being a good friend, said, I will help you. And so, with his army, we went back to Palestine. And with these Roman soldiers under my command, alongside of Antony, we found the people who killed my father, and I sought my revenge. Hmm. I don't understand why these Jews don't love me. Hmm. But anyway, Antony now makes me the ruler of the whole land. So now I am there, and I am the king of the Jews. So I start ruling there, the whole land. Since my father was dead, I was now the king. But very soon after this, another kingdom to the north, the Parthians, the Parthians decided to invade my land and my kingdom. 
They came down, and the Jews, my own subjects, sided with them. Can you believe it? I am their king, the king of the Jews, and these Jews actually side against me? And they did. I had to flee from my life. I fled to Egypt, where Cleopatra was, and then went back to Rome. When I got to Rome, I asked Octavian, and I asked Mark Antony for help, because the Parthians had come in again. Mark Antony came to my rescue. He said, I'll go back with you again. This time we'll bring two entire Roman armies, and we'll make it a good fight. And we did. Antony and I came back, and we defeated the Parthians. And now I was the sole ruler of the entire land there, the king of the Jews. But these Jews are so hard to get along with. For one, they believe in only one God, what they call the true God. They also adhere to all these rules and regulations and sacrifices and stuff. They, they are so into these holy scriptures, as they call it. I mean, do really people believe in that stuff? In our time, those scriptures are so old, I can't even believe people believed in those holy scriptures and prophecies and such. Seemed ridiculous. But in any case, I tried to get along with these Jews. Since they just rebelled against me, and now I've conquered them, and I'm their king, I thought I'd better do something to try to appease them. So I even went to this extreme. Do you know that I divorced my wife and my son, sent them back to Rome so that I could marry a Jewish princess? Since I'm not Jewish, I thought if I marry a Jewish princess, they would start to like me. Well, they didn't. It seemed that they hated me even more. Even my wife wasn't too thrilled with me. Though I think, I really think I did love her. Yes, I, I believe I did. Even after I killed her. <laughs> it's true. Do you know the night I had her killed, I actually cried in my pillow? I, I did. I think I really did. Isn't that love? I think I loved her. And I loved her even though I killed our two sons. Mm -hmm. I still loved her. Matter of fact, I killed her brother too. And, and come to think of it, I think I killed her grandfather. Yes, I'm certain I did. I killed her grandfather too. Yes. Oh, and I forgot. I killed her mother also. I don't know why this family was so upset with me. Why were these, Rome, or these Jews so against me? I don't understand. So I tried to do other things to make them happy. Since that didn't do it, by the way, <laughs> I, I found true love again. I married eight more women, had many more sons, only killed a few of them. But um, I tried to help them out. I, tried, I decided I'm really going to help these Jews. And they'll come to love me because I will serve them. I know. The first thing I did in looking at their temple, 
Now, this temple that they had in Jerusalem was such a shabby little just stone building at this point. It was built back during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. There was hardly anything to it. It was not pretty at all. So I decided, I know, since they're so into the religion, into this God, into the sacrifices and these holy scriptures, I will make them a temple that will be one of the greatest temples in the entire world. And I did. Unfortunately, I died before it was finished. Don't ask how I'm here today. That's a good question. Um, but I did build them a temple. And you know, they didn't like that either. Oh, they were happy to have a temple, but they didn't love me. Hmm. So I built new roads for them. Some of the roads were really shabby. And using Roman technology, and I was very good at architecture, designing cities and stuff, I built roads, new roads everywhere. I even built aqueducts. For those of you who don't know what it is, it looks like something like a bridge, only holding water and transporting water hundreds and hundreds of miles to bring in fresh water. And by having fresh water, do you understand what I was able to do in their cities? I made swimming pools for them, and fountains, and bathrooms with running water. Yes, you could actually go into a public bathroom now because of what I built and sit down and have your little... Well, let's move on to a different subject. <laughs> they still didn't love me. Hmm. I know, I'll build them new cities. I built a city up on the Mediterranean that was called, as I named it, Caesarea Maritime. I named it in, in honor of Octavian. I, I want to make sure he stays friends with me. So I named it that. It was the greatest city port. The city port uh, greatest for ships and stuff in the entire Roman Empire. I built a palace there. The remains are still today. It's quite impressive. The palace was absolutely beautiful. Always a nice fresh breeze off the Mediterranean. It was a beautiful place. I, I thought even, let's build some theaters. Let's let these Jews have some culture. So I built theaters that housed, where you could sit thousands of people, and I even designed them with air conditioning in case they got hot sitting in the sun. Did they appreciate me? No. They hated me even more. Hmm. So I built racetracks for horse races. There's a huge one there. It's still there today. You can see it. If you go there and visit, they didn't like that either. It's like you can't do anything to please these people. Everything I try, they keep putting, it, putting me down and making fun of me and hating me. I'm just trying to make life easier for them. But they wouldn't love me. Well, as time went on, Octavian and Mark Antony got into a feud over who should be the one ruling the empire. Now, since I was friends with both of them, it's sort of hard when they're saying, whose side are you going to be on? So I chose to be on Mark Antony because, after all, he had come and helped me himself many times. So I sided with him and Cleopatra. And uh, we went down to Egypt, and they fought a huge battle against Octavian, and Mark Antony and Cleopatra lost. And instead of just surrendering, they decided to commit suicide. They killed themselves. Well, I wasn't about to do that. So instead, I went to Octavian as soon as the battle was over. And I went up to Octavian, and I told him, Octavian, you see, I've always been a close friend of yours. Um, I was just with the enemy camp here because they sort of tagged me along and they made me come. But my loyalties have always been to you. You know how you can talk to people like that? I was very good at this. 
and Octavian bought it all and became my closest friend now. Yes, he changed his name, by the way, to Caesar Augustus. Maybe you've heard of him, too, in the Christmas story. Yes, Caesar Augustus. That was Octavian. And now we were very, very close friends. So that is how all of this took place. Octavian, again, makes me the ruler of the whole area because I was afraid I was going to lose my kingdom. But he says, no, no, Herod. Um, I'm still friends with you. You still are the ruler of Palestine. You are the king of the Jews. And then, towards the end of my life, a very strange story. This whole Christmas thing happened. I'm still not quite clear on what all took place and how I messed this all up. And I hope, from my experience, I'm about to tell you, you don't make the same mistake. But you see, it was around, somewhere around 4 BC or so. I was actually quite old at this point and not feeling well. I actually died a few years, or just not even a few years after this all happened. Again, don't ask me how I'm here today. I don't quite know myself. But anyway, um, as I was entertaining myself with my guests there in my kingdom and in Jerusalem, there was... uh, these men who came from the east, from Babylon, I believe, they were called Magi or wise men, whatever you want to call them, and they came seeking an audience with me in my city of Jerusalem, the capital. So, as I was sitting on my throne and they came in, they said to me, "Uh, tell us, Herod, where is he who is born, the king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Where is this newborn child? Excuse me, did you say the king of the Jews? Yes, this Messiah. It's in your holy scriptures. Isn't he born here? It's the son of God. Isn't this the place where he's supposed to be born? We know from the ancient scriptures, from these book called Daniel and others, that, that this is the time he's supposed to be born. We know he is born. Where is he? Tell us. Pray tell. Where is this newborn king, this son of God? Now, you see, this made me very upset. Very upset, because I am the king of the Jews. But I didn't want them to see that. I said, well, I'm not sure... But I can find out. I know who to ask. In the meantime, why don't you enjoy yourself here? We'll have banquets in honor of you because I don't, they're very important people, and I'm used to handling very important people. So I said, we'll have banquets and stuff. So as we set them down and got them all settled, I sent one of my soldiers and I said, go over to the temple, get the scribes and get the priests and get them over here right away. I have a question to ask them. So as they were being entertained, These scribes and priests came up to me and I said, where is this Messiah to be born? Now, it was the talk all over the town that the Messiah, it was time for the Messiah to be born. And I'd been hearing this all the time too. I wanted to know. Well, I know I scared them to death. I sort of have that effect on people. But uh, they told me, and quoted something from some ancient book, uh, some holy scripture that they believe in, and said that it was in Bethlehem. Oh, thank you. I went back to my palace, inside the palace where the Magi were, and I told him, I found the answer. 
Um, it's in Bethlehem, which should make you very happy because it's only about six miles down the road. You can just go on out there tomorrow and everything. Well, they didn't even wait till tomorrow. They were so happy. They were jumping up and down and everything. You, you wouldn't believe these royal people could act in such a way. But they were so excited about this. And they went ahead and left. But before they left, I said, hey, I pray you, please, before you leave and go back to your own kingdom, when you find, search for this child in Bethlehem. It's a small village. It won't take you much time to find it. But I want you to make sure that when you find him, to send word back to me. Come, please, and tell me so that I, too, can go and worship this son of God. I know you're going to worship him. I, too, want to worship this new king of the Jews, the one who I'm going to be relenting my title to. Well, I don't think they bought that for a minute because they never came back. So after a while, when I realized they had tricked me and they were not coming back, I ordered my centurion of the Romans. I said, I want you to come here. I have a job for you to do. He said, what is your pleasure? I said, this Messiah child, the son of God is what these Jews call it, has been born in Bethlehem. I don't know when. I'm not sure where, but I want you to go find him and kill him. The centurion says, well, how will we know which one it is? Which child? That's simple. Kill all the boys under the age of two. Somewhere near you'll get them. Now, some of you probably think, oh, that is such a terrible thing to do. Really? For me? who has killed my wife, my own sons. One of my sons even tried to take over my throne right before this happened. I had him killed. And people wonder, well, how come you would do this? Well, for one, Bethlehem's a small town. We're only talking at the most about a dozen boys being killed. That's a small number when you consider armies killing so many people. So that's what happened. They went and they killed him. All these boys. But this true God intervened and rescued this child. And they went to Egypt, to the land where before it was Cleopatra, my friend. My friends, I'm here to tell you something. It's very important for you to understand this. I made many mistakes in my life. This one was the greatest, missing that Christmas. I wouldn't go to worship this Messiah. You see, I didn't realize at the time when I was living then, my kingdom, my little kingdom compared to the Roman Empire was so much more important to me than God. I didn't have room in my heart for God I've spent my entire career trying to reach the top. Maybe some of you have done the same thing. Your career has clouded your vision like it did for me. No, I wanted to go to kill him, but I made a mistake. Though the Jews did try to persuade me to follow God's command. They were constantly telling me this. That's why one time they got so upset with them, I killed 300 of their, pre, uh, their Pharisees. I had them crucified outside of Rome. They were constantly trying to get me to, to listen to the 
true God, to, to actually believe and read their scriptures, these holy things. But I had my own life to run. I had become king. Why would I need God? Look how far I got in my life without God. Why do I need God now? I was so into my own career, into my own fame. Are you living under the slogan that I did? Grab all the gusto in life you can. Do it your way. You see, I thought I could chart my own destiny. I made it to king for a short time. I was the king. And I was not about to bow my knee to anyone. <laughs> what a mistake. Me bow especially to one of these Jews? A Jewish child? Me? <sighs> to put faith in these ancient scriptures I, I never really believed in? I made a major mistake. And I'm paying for it now in eternity. And I hope you do not make the same mistake as I have. As you all listen to me, please don't be like me. When God presents himself, I stayed in my palace, in my warm palace. I wouldn't even go. I didn't go to see him. I never got to know him. I never got to to worship him. So why am I here? I'm here to tell you not to make the same failure, the same mistakes that I have made in my life. You see, I chose poorly. Please, do not make the same mistake. Go to God. I was given the opportunity, and I refused. My career, my fame, my pride, I had no room for him. I hope you do not make the same mistake I made.